This morning, we are continuing our study in, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where we'll find ourselves, if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Ephesians chapter, Ephesians, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting there in verse 8, if you'll do that with me. And that's where we're going to find ourselves just uh, looking at scripture. We're making our way through Ecclesiastes this summer. Uh, we've only got a few weeks left, so I've been kind of slow in the first five chapters and uh, we'll begin to kind of move up. I want to start it this way. I don't know if you've ever thought, or maybe you read the story when it first came out, but what would happen, or what would you do for a million dollars? I want you to just think about that minute, for a minute. What would you do for a million dollars? The study was by James Patterson and Peter Kim, and, and they asked the American public, what would you do for a million dollars? And there's this pretty extensive survey, and it came back, and here's what was said. It was kind of scary. Two-thirds of Americans polled would agree to do at least one to some of the several things. 25% would abandon their entire family for $10 million. So we went from a million to 10. They said they would abandon their family. That is tragic. 25% said they would abandon their church. I know some that would do it for less, okay? 23% would become prostitutes for a week or more. This, this is a worldly, this is not a church survey, okay? 16% would give up their American citizenship. 16% would leave their spouses. 10% would withhold testimony to let a murderer go free. 7% said for $10 million, I would kill a stranger. And then 1% said for $10 million, I would just put up my child for adoption. The sad part of that is it's amazing that money speaks to the heart of people. That's why Jesus addressed money more than any other topic in the New Testament. So this morning, you could sit there and think, like the rest of the day, you're going to be thinking, what would I do if you gave me $10 million? I hope you'd say I would be more obedient, more generous, and more gracious to Jesus and to his church and to others. Or maybe I would just live a lifestyle all about me, but... We've been reading through Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, this, the wisest man, keeps saying it's meaningless. He uses the word meaningless 35 times at least through this book. He's trying to really get our attention. And I think a lot of us would say materialism is rampant. Materialism is probably part of our life. Maybe we bought into it. And at least we would think materialistic in principle. We would probably agree that maybe it's bad or whatever to overindulge ourselves. But we would probably all come to the point and go, but I am probably the exception. Do you ever think sometimes when you're in a given situation that you're the exception? Oh, I would never do that. Oh, she would never do that. No, no, no. Well, we already saw from a crazy survey from research what people would do for a great sum of money. And I just wonder, as we think about this, there's a big idea. I want you to fill it in with me this morning. The first one is we need to find the good. Ecclesiastes, when you Begin to sum it up and look all through it. I think God would ultimately tell us through this book, find the good in life. Find the good things. Look for the good. What is excellent? Become aware. Perceive. In, in the Hebrew, it's rahe tobe. And basically, it means to be pleasant, to be desirable. Find that which is good. And I think God calls us as Christ followers to look for the good in other people, to look for the good in the earth, look for the good in relationships. It is there if we look. But the second point would be, find the good in every day. 
Don't just find the good on Sunday when we come together to the house of the Lord, but look for the good every day. God, I want to find the good. I want to, he, he tells us through Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy life, all these great things. But, but find the good there. In your work, find the good. But let's go to the third one. Find the good in every day in the assignment that God has given you. Do you believe this morning that the Father has given you an assignment? How many believe that? Just raise your hand today if you think God's given you an assignment. See, some of you aren't convinced. God has given his children an assignment to do good works that will glorify the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. God has given us specific assignments. I know years ago, I made a statement from this platform and it changed the course of somebody's family forever. It changed Christ's community and the leadership that she's given for the last nine or ten years. I said, if you know there's a need, and you have a gift to meet that need, and you don't do it, it might be sin. And that day as I spoke that, there was a young woman that heard that come from this platform, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of her. And she said, yes, I have gifts. I can do it. You know what her name is? Chrissy Womble. <laughs> you greeted her this morning. She's over there. She runs her nursery. She does an excellent job. I'm grateful for Chrissy. That's right. You can put your hands together and thank God. We give an affirmation. Amen. But she heard, and she said, I can do that. Maybe God's called me to do that, and I'm so glad that she stepped up. So I believe that God's calling many of you to do things as we head toward Commitment Sunday over in September. Just be thinking, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me to do? I, I look at our band and what Jeff's developed with all our musicians and tech and vocalists, and it continues to grow and grow and expand. And many have said, I've got a need, or I have a desire, I have a gift, I have a talent. I'll offer it to Christ. Praise God. So let's move on down here. So Ecclesiastes would teach us greed is all out there. That's what... Uh, Part of what Solomon would say is that it's there. Matter of fact, let's just look here at the word together. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for its own profit. Verse 10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And I want to say, amen. See, God's created it. He set it up to where we need goods. We need resources. We need money. And money is not evil. It's amoral. The love of money is the root of all evil. It, it leads to all kinds of sins. It's not that money's evil. Nothing evil about money. So greed is out there. And in verse 10, he says, the love of money, you never have enough. You're never satisfied. Anytime I've ever read about the rich and famous and continue to look at that, they just go, I just want more. But then I look at my own life, and I look at your life, and everybody usually goes, I mean, how many people come up and go, hey, I got too much. Just made too much, got too much, got enough. You, you just don't hear that. Usually, more, more. Our granddaughter, she does this, more. You know what that is? It's a sign for more. I love it. She goes, more. Now she's starting to formulate words, and she says, more. And I'm thinking, man, that's so true of us, and it's an indication of where we are. And then verse 11, he talks about, well, if you get increase, 
it brings new friends. Have you, ever, have you ever watched the people that won the lottery? They were lonely and abandoned and had no friends, and all of a sudden they won 10, 20, 30 million dollars, and everybody showed up. Hey, I'm Jim Bob from Arkansas. I just want some money. I mean, they never seen Jim Bob. People just ride down the road and they stop, and the, and the church gets real friendly and they go over me. I promise you, if somebody in our community won 30 million dollars, do you think any preachers would knock on the door? They would. Would I? I don't know. I wouldn't just go up to him. I mean, if I was in a relationship, I, I don't know, like, hey, anybody won the lottery? I'll do, you know, hey, where's Pastor Keith this week? He's just flying around America looking for people that won the lottery, knocking on the door. <laughs> Sick. Okay. So here it is, verses 10 through 12. He talks about Solomon loves silver. It was so common. I told you a few weeks ago, silver was so common in his agenda, in his kingdom, that it was more common than stones of Israel. It was just second place. And then he, he was so opulent and so wealthy and just incredibly over the top. Then he had gold inlaid chairs and gold goblets and chains. I mean, you remember Mr. T? Remember when Mr. T used to come on and had, you know, you know, foo, I'm going to do all that stuff. Anyway, I mean, here he is, man. This guy has got gold over the top. And yet he, he's got a lot to say. And he says, I think he'd say, hey, let me lay some groundwork for you folks in 2014 about finances. They're not going to satisfy. I had it all. I mean, matter of fact, I'll tell you, the Bible talks a lot about money, and one-sixth of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, talks about finances, talks about resources. So Jesus is pretty serious about this. And, and then our love and how we get all hooked up on it. And yet, I want to say this to you. I don't want you to say that, that, that rich is bad. Rich is not bad. The, the pursuit of a, obsession with the riches of this world that gets a heart. That's what's bad. It's not having wealth. There are wealthy people in the scriptures. Abraham was wealthy. There's many that we read about. Uh, our, our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he borrowed a tomb. I think that's so cool. He's the only person I know that ever borrowed a tomb because he didn't need it. I mean, you, you know how when you go to somebody, you say, hey, can I borrow some of that? Like, you, you go in and get a piece of cake. Can I borrow some of that? Yeah, what are you going to do? Regurgitate it give it back to me? You don't want to borrow it. You want to consume it. And we borrow stuff all the time. And yet here's Jesus. He takes, you know, the finality. We call it death. And Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to overcome that. Another sermon for another day, maybe Easter. But God enables us to be productive. Through Ecclesiastes, we would see the principle of good work ethic, productivity, and giving our best to the Lord because enough is never enough. Listen to the scripture, Proverbs 10.4. The hand of the diligent makes you rich. In other words, work at it with all your might, with all your energy. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the diligent shall be made rich. That principle compounds, and it goes over and over. God says, if you want to be successful, then work. Work with your hands as long as you have daylight to work. And yet, I know our culture is enamored with the desire to be rich. I mean, there's this show that's been very popular the last several years, who wants to be poor? You, have you watched it? It's a great show. Everybody watches it. It's not a show. Who wants to be? You've seen it, have you? See, because everybody wants the goods. We want the riches. And like I say, that in itself is not bad. It's the worship. It's the obsession of it. 1 Timothy 6. Just, just write down 1 Timothy 6 in the margin. Begin to meditate on this section of Scripture where he talks to us about our goods and our wealths. Wealths. He says, money does not bring satisfaction. That's what 1 Timothy 6 would teach you and I. 
It's not going to ultimately satisfy you. It's probably going to bring along a lot of pain. Possessions do never come alone. The more you have, the more you have to fix, the more you have to insure, the more you have to keep up with. Has anybody ever realized that? You remember, remember when you were in college and, and maybe you didn't have $2 to rub together or two nickels or whatever, and man, you just, you're like, man, we, we don't have anything. You didn't worry about your earth stuff, did you? Because you didn't have any earth stuff. I mean, you could just get your stuff in the back seat of your car if you had a car, and you could ride off, and you had a trunk. I remember when I was in college, everybody had trunks, and we... And, and we had these big trunks, we'd put our big stereos on, you know. And, and like you'd put all your stuff in there. You'd show up and you had your clothes in a trunk, and that's pretty much it. And then I fast forward it, and we have daughters, and, and they go off to university, and they have cute rooms, and duvets, and comforters, and pillows, and shams, and curtains, and stuff. I, I had to go get a dictionary to see what it meant. And, and, and we load that stuff up, and, and you go across college, and yesterday I rode by AUM down at ID, and I looked over, because Chris, y'all start school tomorrow, don't you? And you saw, you saw all the people moving in Auburn University in Montgomery yesterday, and they were just, they had trailers and trucks and 18-wheelers. I just lied. But they had all kinds of stuff, and they were moving in. Yeah, kind of a cool thing. But, you know, if we trust in our money, it's not going to satisfy. That's what Solomon said through this book. He'd just go, hey, it's going to mess you up. So... What do we do? Well, Lord, I want to trust you. Matter of fact, look, look here. Move, move down with me here this morning. In verse 12, people who work hard, they sleep well. Whether they eat little or much, but the rich sell them to get a good night's sleep. You ever notice that when you work really, really hard, you usually conk out, you usually snore, you usually slobber, you usually fall out. Do I have a witness? And if you don't work as hard, and maybe you do work hard and you still don't sleep, but this principle is here, when you work so hard, you really seldom worry because you don't have time to worry you're just trying to get through another day and so solomon begins to talk to us about here the more we have the more we have to manage the more uh complaints and the more challenges it brings on us so we have to be careful what we ask for and wealth i just write in the margin wealth always invites a crowd if, if you get the goods of this world it would invite a crowd it would invite people to be your friend and they're, maybe they're not your friend they just like your stuff J just think about that for a minute maybe you're saying well i didn't used to have anything and now i have stuff and i have lots of friends I hope they love you just because they love you because you, they think you're genuine and they want to get in a relationship with you. And it might be they just like your stuff because your stuff's cooler than theirs. I was, I was in uh, Sam's a few weeks ago and there was this guy in front of me and he had, you know, you know what they do for men. I mean, they just mess us up. It's not even right. You go to Sam's and Costco and when you walk in the door, they greet you with a nice salutation and then you look over and what's the first thing we see, men? As soon as you walk into those big box stores, what do they have sitting there? 80-inch flat-screen TVs. It ain't right. And all the men are like, and they're slobbering, and, you know, man, I wish I had one. Oh, watch the ball game. You know, and I know some of you are like, I could care less. Okay, well, get your favorite movie on 80 inches. Now you're talking, Pastor. Okay, so I was in there a few weeks ago, and this guy in front of me had an 80-inch, and, and he, had, he had a wall mount, and he had all this stuff, and I was just sitting there, I coveted, and then I realized I sinned, and I repented, and I like I don't need 80 inches. And I was looking. I said, "Man, I said you're fixing to have fun." I said, "I'm coming to your house for the game." He goes, "No, you're not." I went, "Oh," he said, "But you can help me come put it up." <laughs> I mean, he really said that. I went, "Awesome, see you, dude. Bye." And I left. 80 inches of TV. I mean, I, I'm sure right now he's having a ball. He's probably watching me right now on, on the internet. Okay, all right. So anyway, so here being rich you know what i want you to write today just on the sideline if you don't hear anything i say be rich toward god be rich toward the father all, all the rest of it man doesn't matter but if you're rich in faith toward jesus christ then man you're in a great place today 
Remember when I used that quote from C.S. Lewis a few weeks ago? And he says, when nothing satisfies, maybe I realize I was made for another life. A life of the kingdom. The life of a kingdom pursuer that I pursue the heart of Jesus and what matters to him. I remember when I first started reading decades ago about this man named Howard Hughes and the great fortune that he amassed. And as I read on about his life, he had millions, billions of dollars or whatever but he was one of the most eccentric, peculiar, odd men, isolated himself from people, nails grew really long, long hair, just became freakish in nature. He was a prison of his own riches, and I thought, wow, horrible. Then I read about John D. Rockefeller, and it talks about he used to have to eat a lot of crackers and drink milk because he had all these ulcers and he worried about money, and something happened one day, and he began to give away a lot of his wealth and his gut, his stomach issues, resolved and he healed up and he lived i think to be about 90 or 93 years old there's just something about when we don't get absorbed with the riches of the world and we begin to share and we begin to give i i, I just think here it is in the middle of the page money's just so uncertain circle that in your worship guide today money's just so uncertain you got some you don't have some you had some you lost some you got a little more it wasn't enough i mean you know i mean how many of you when you get paid on once a month or the 15th or the 30th how many of you go there is so much i'm gonna have so much i don't know what i'm gonna do there's just so much how many of you say that every every time you get paid you don't say that you go i got more days than i got money you know, we, we do the envelope system. We've, we've done that for years. That just works for us. It's a way to discipline and steward what the Lord provides. It's a great principle. Larry Burkett teaches it. Dave Ramsey teaches it. Anyway, let's move on. Honor the Lord with your first fruits. We talked about that today. Hebrews 13, 5. Write this verse down. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You are not alone. You are mine. I love you with an everlasting love. I'm so grateful for the words of Scripture. And so money here matters. And, and I just think about how good the Lord is to us. Matter of fact, we're learning in, in Ecclesiastes from a guy that had untold riches. Matter of fact, as, as I looked at it, his base salary per year was $20 million. $20 million in gold, 666 talents of gold per year were delivered to Solomon. Now that doesn't count the perks of the job, like the throne that he sat on was pure carved ivory overlaid with pure gold. I don't know why you'd cover ivory with gold, but he did. His silverware was really good. Gold cups, gold saucers, gold plates. The shields on the guards in the elite guards of the palace had gold shields. This man was into gold. What was Solomon's favorite color? go he really liked it he was the original tbn room some of you think it's funny some of you don't know what i'm talking about okay you know gold chairs gold thrones gold yeah okay all right let's keep moving all right but solomon had had it i like what billy graham said very sincere genuine powerful evangelist of the gospel he says if a person gets his attitude toward money straight it helps them straighten out almost every other area of their life if they'll get this money issue right and they'll center it upon Jesus Christ and orientate their desires and their goals and their ambitions around Christ, it'll get right. I just write the side verse, Matthew 6, 33. If you'll just seek the kingdom and his righteousness, he'll add the other stuff. So Solomon had the riches. We, you, you can read chapter after chapter in Ecclesiastes and he's just saying, those who love money, verse 10, they just don't have enough. So our perspective there is kind of a tough, but I want you to look in the middle of the page. There's three ways we can get wealthy. 
<laughs> I want you to remember this. Number one, one way you can get wealthy is you can steal it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. You, you can just steal money. You know, we, we see shows on TV, help us find this criminal that came in our store, they stole it, or however you're into stealing or whatever. You can steal and you can get wealthy. <laughs> the second one, you can work for it. I, I suggest that one. If, if you want to be wealthy, then work for it. So you can steal it. You can work for it. And then the third one is, and I love this one. This is the best. You can receive it as a gift. You can receive it as an inheritance. You can receive it as a gift from somebody else. No, let's trump that. We can receive it from the Father. How many believe that the Father gives good and perfect gifts, and every good and perfect gift is from above? Amen. Yeah, that's a clap right there. Lord, every good gift I have has come from the throne of heaven, and it's from you. I received it. I worked. I didn't earn it, though. I received it as a gift. Lord, you gave us the days of life. You gave us the capacity to enjoy life. And you gave us the capacity and the heart and the desire to enjoy good gifts. You know, you live knowing you've received. Let me, let me give you a couple things just to write out beside this because I didn't put it in the notes. If you live knowing you received, you ought to, number one, you ought to express gratitude. Father, I am grateful for every good and perfect gift called health, called money, called a home, called a car, called groceries, called clothes, called whatever it is. God, I express gratitude. Secondly, you enjoy it gladly. Father, this is from you. I don't apologize. I thank you for the good gifts that you've entrusted to me and my family. We will enjoy it to the glory of Christ. And the third thing is, and then you extend generosity to others. You extend it to the poor, to the oppressed, to the church, to others that have need. But you extend the generosity of the Lord to others. You, you give it away. You don't hold on to it. Matter of fact, I pray every single, I, I pray for my family all the time. That is my responsibility as the priest of my home. Not as the pastor of your church, as the priest of my home. But let me tell you something else we do. We have supported kids all over the world for years. And we have a little boy that I met in 2010. And his name is Collins. He's a Compassion International child. Our church supports Compassion International. We've supported about 28, 30 kids that I know of, and there are probably a lot more. And every month we give money, and then we give special gifts at birthdays and other times of the year, and we love this little boy, and I pray for his spiritual and for his physical and for his mental and emotional development. That is my responsibility as a Christ follower. And it's just one way that I can extend generosity to the kingdom of God of saying, Lord, there's a little boy that lives across the globe in Mathari, Africa, in a slum. And he doesn't go to a refrigerator like I do and you do. And he doesn't have the riches that I have. But he has a sponsor in Montgomery, Alabama that love him and pray for him daily. And I give glory to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it means. And you know what? It helps my heart. It helps me get things right. And that's why I encourage you to support Compassion International. And many of you do. Talk to my girls about Compassion International. They have their own kids. And they support kids. They believe. And that's something we modeled in our home. And they caught it. Hallelujah. You know what the best Christian education is? It's caught, not taught. How many believe that today? If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, live your faith out in front of your kids. You teach the faith, but model the faith. You find the prize. Let's move on. I could preach for hours. See, the last two Sundays I haven't preached in like, but don't worry, this week I'm getting back in a new rhythm, man. I got all kind of meetings this week. Wednesday night, small groups kick off, and we're on a run. Here is five dangers from chasing material prosperity. Let's look at them. Number one, wealth never wins. 
When we trust in wealth, and we trust in wealth and not in Christ, and we don't stand in Christ alone, wealth never wins the prize. So we see the poor, we see the oppressed, and we say, Lord, no, I want more. You're higher. You're the king. Lord, I look to you. Lord, uh, I'm not going to try to do comparisons and compare what I've got to what they've got, Lord. I want to look to you, and wealth's not going to win. And this whole section here in verse 8 and 9, he begins to talk about that. But from the Living Bible of verse 8 and 9, listen to what it says. If you see some poor man being oppressed by the rich with a miscarriage of justice anywhere throughout the land, don't be surprised, for every official is under orders from higher up, and the higher officials look up to their superiors. And so the matter is lost in red tape and bureaucracy, and over them all is the king. Oh, for a king who is devoted to his country, only he can bring order from his chaos. Let's look to our God. Lord, wealth will not satisfy. You know, God is not into a republic. God is not into a democracy. God is into a theocracy where he rules. In the Old Testament, the people begged God for a king. He said, you don't want a king. God, we want a king. You don't want a king. We want a king. They got a king. God, we don't want a king. Isn't that amazing? You ask, God, i got to have this. No, you don't want that. God, please let me have that. No, you don't want it. Then you get it. God, can I give it back to you? It's just a principle of life. Here's some things we can do with the theocracy of God. We can see God at work rather than ignore it. We can see that he's working. Another thing, we can respond rather than react to it. Lord, I want to respond to your goodness. And I want to respond to our government with a Christ-like attitude. Help me to do that, Lord. And we can elect officials that care for the poor, for the oppressed. And we can elect officials that have a bigger, uh, broad mind about the goodness in the kingdom of God. And we could also elect to be uninvolved. And so many people do. I, I was just thinking about this next year. God, will we be more involved in the Montgomery community? It, it's a question we have to individually uh, answer and say, Lord, help me. Number two, wealth leaves you wanting. In verse 10, you know, you get some, you get a little bit, you get a lot, but you want more. You, you're just never satisfied. It just, it, it doesn't, like, uh, there, there's a store over here in Georgia, and many of y'all have been there, and, and, and I went one time, and, and I really liked it. I'd heard about it for years, and then I got, I think I've been two or three times now, but uh, some of you go over there, and it's just right down to 85, and you go in there, and they have these big letters, and it starts with an I. Anybody know what I'm going it's called a Kia, and you can go in there and you can get lost and stay a day. And you, you can just walk around and see all the little scenarios of stuff and setups and furniture and chairs and couches and whatever. And you, you do, oh, I want some, I want some more. And, 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 and you come out of there and you just want to load your car and you look like, a, you look like the clampets and the Beverly Hillbillies riding off, you know, all that stuff piled up in your car. And you see a Kia, because a Kia's got the goods, man. And if you go to a Kia, you can be satisfied. No, you're not. You're satisfied for today. You're satisfied till the bill comes, then you complain. You're satisfied and then it breaks. You're, you're satisfied, but uh, we need to go to Ikea. We need to go again. We need more. It, it's just the way we're made. I don't understand it. Like, well, man, I, I want one. You got one. We all, we all need one. This morning, we're giving away 80-inch flat-screen TVs in the foyer. Just go get one. I mean, would that be ludicrous? Like, yeah, this guy came by and gave us $22 million, so we just bought everybody an 80-inch. Go home with it. Some of you would whine and go, but how am I going to get it home? I would walk with it if you gave me one, okay? I'd just walk, okay? <laughs> First Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people crave money, and they've wandered from the true faith, and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
Because they've wandered from the truth of Christ, and Christ is enough, and Christ is sufficient, and Christ is the supreme one. Third, wealth will keep you awake. Because then the more wealth you have, the more stuff you have to keep up with and manage and worry about. I prayed with many people for this campus. We're an 18-year-old church. We, we, we built here and moved in in April of 99, and I've given praise to God for this edifice, for this structure, and it's housed the gospel, and I've seen so much of the activity of God, and I love our church campus. It's simple in nature, but it's a beautiful place. And yet, can I tell you, we started with very meager beginnings. We started at Auburn University of Montgomery in the nursing school, and we set up every week for two and a half years. And it was a beautiful place. And can I tell you, so we've gotten a little wealthier, and we have a facility, and we have more debt. And, all, and, and that's not called wealth. That's called debt. Okay. But let me tell you something. But then you have a campus, and you have lawns, and you have stuff to keep up with. So the more you have, the more you have to keep up with. And sometimes I'm like, oh, man, things used to be so simple. <laughs> so simple. Did, did I have a witness today? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying stuff's bad, because I don't think this is bad. Do y'all think this is bad? I don't. I think a place to house God's kids and adults and to have a place to worship and celebrate and do life and discipleship, it's awesome. And they don't kick us out and go, you have to be gone in an hour or we'll charge you another $120. Leave. Because the mortgage comes every month, we get to stay for one more month, okay? But wealth will keep you awake. People in pressure, it just does that. Fourth, wealth will fade away. It's never constant. Wealth just fades. You got it, you don't have it. You had it, and you lose it. It sprouts wings. It flies off. You hoard it, and something happens. But money brings no guarantees. It never does. It never will. The more you have, the more you have to lose. The more depressed you get. What do you think about the Great Depression? Do you remember when you read about so many of the wealthy that lost everything? They jumped out the window. They committed suicide. They couldn't deal with it. Christ was not enough. Christ was not sufficient. Christ was not Lord. Their riches were. That's all we're trying to build a case for today, according to God's holy word. God, be enough. Because right across the top it says, when enough is enough, well, enough is Jesus. Today at Holy Communion, we'll see the supreme meal. This will be the most expensive meal you're ever going to taste today. It's better than any restaurant you'll ever go to. It's more fulfilling. It's more sustaining. It's eternal. It's the Lord's table. We're grateful, Lord, that you bring guarantees and you bring satisfaction. The world's passing away, but you're not. Fifth, wealth ultimately fails in the end. It just, it just comes up short. It just falls. It just doesn't make it. Psalm 49, 17, for when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. You've always heard that little thing. You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. I mean, I've often wondered if somebody ought to just do that for a joke and just hook one up. Like, you know, when I do a funeral and there's this U-Haul and they, and they take it out. And, and I, want, I want to just say something to you. I'm not making fun of you. Hey, my, my folks have passed away, and we've had their funerals, and, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I just got a thought this morning. Can I, can I just give you a thought? We go, and if we're not careful, spend, people spend great sums of money to buy great dresses and to buy great suits and all this stuff to put them on people. Can I tell you? They're not going to take it with them. <laughs> it's kind of a waste of a good suit if you really think about it. Just think about it for a minute. Here's the funny one to me. And then they put glasses on them. Like, if I pass away and you're like, oh, Pastor Keith, he looks so good with his glasses on. I'd already donate my glasses to help somebody in a foreign country that can't see. You know what I'm saying? I don't need these where I'm going. Hallelujah. So if you, you want me to really blow your mind, I want to be cremated so you won't be looking at me anyway. I just want you to celebrate the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Some of you just had your mind blued. Well, oh, Pastor, we, we, don't, we don't do that. Okay, that's another story for another day. Our God's a great God. How many believe that? 
Yeah, so we send away, you know, we, we, Lord, look at, listen to this, Psalm 49, 16. So don't be dismayed when the wicked grow rich and their homes become even more splendid. Does anybody ever get jealous and you're not content because everybody else has got more? Don't raise your hand like, yeah, I did. Well, hey, is this the way it's going to be? Don't worry about it. But listen to Job 121. This, this settles, this uh, makes a, the, the playing ground level. Listen to this, Job 121. I came naked from my mother's womb. I will live naked when I, ha- when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord's taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Bless his holy name. Amen. You're like, you're excited about that. Because you know what? In heaven, there's not going to be people that have degrees and don't have degrees, and people that have money and don't have money, and people that do this. The, the ground's going to be level in heaven. There's going to be no class, only worshipers of the true king of glory. And we're going to bow before the throne. Lord, I look forward to that day. So we stand in his presence and we go, Lord, wealth's not going to get me ahead. The only thing I can do with wealth is send it ahead. I can invest in the eternal riches of Christ. Evaluate your stuff this morning. Let me just land this plane. It depends on which kingdom you're following. If you're seeking his kingdom, you're at a good place. But money is like manure. You pile it up, it stinks. You spread it around, it grows. Think about it. That's pretty deep theology. You spread the riches that God gives you around, and it grows. I know you're going, boy, that's about the deepest thing you've said in a long time. Okay. I'll say this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a principle of contentment. Write it in your Bible. In Ecclesiastes 5, I think he would just go, I want you to be content. And you will never be content until you seek me with all your heart, with all your mind, and then you'll have an abundant life.